Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our Countercultural Sermon Series. Countercultural is a study of the Beatitudes and explores our call to be different. We hope you find this podcast meaningful. We'd love to hear how God is touching people's lives. Just go to our website at www.valleybrook.cc, select Contact Us, and send us an email. Those are the Beatitudes, and we're in the middle of this series called Countercultural. And the whole series is based on each of those Beatitudes. And today we're going to be looking at one of the Beatitudes. And, and as I do so, I, I, I am amazed at, at God's provision for us today. You know, uh, as we gather here to worship God, we all know this. There's been another episode of senseless violence in our country. And I ask myself, maybe you do too, how many more times? Will we gather on a Sunday morning and have to address stuff like this? You know, whether it's mass shootings or acts of racism and prejudice or words of hate and ignorance, I don't know about you, but I'm sick and tired of the violence and the anger and the hatred. And uh, to, to bring a little levity to it uh, this week, if there could be any, I, I remembered uh, one of the cartoons that I grew up with as a kid, Popeye. Anybody remember Popeye? You know, when, uh, when Popeye had had enough of Bluto, he would say, that's all I can stands and I can't stands no more. And I think that's where I am with all the violence and all the anger and all the hatred. I can't stands no more. As a Christian... I believe that God can work in his sons and daughters to change the world. And as I said, I, uh, I find it providential in God's provision that he planned for us to speak on this scripture today to study in Matthew 5, verse 6, because this is what it says. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled because this is what I believe as a follower of Jesus Christ. I believe if, that that righteousness, as Scripture tells us, comes through faith in Jesus Christ and if it prevailed in the world, we would not be talking about this constant barrage of senseless violence and anger and hatred. So I look at that verse as a promise that when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, for the righteousness of God to be revealed on the whole earth that we will be filled with that righteousness. And the filling of that righteousness will overflow our lives and the lives of others in the world and it will have an impact on all of this senselessness. Before we can talk about all that happening though, I think we need to have a, uh, create a common understanding of what righteousness is and uh, one theologian has written this, dictionaries define righteousness as behavior that is morally justifiable or right. This behavior is characterized by acceptable standards of morality, justice, virtue, or uprightness. But the Bible's standard of human rightness, righteousness is God's own perfection. In every attitude, in every attribute in every behavior in every word 
Thus, God's law, as given in the Bible, both describes God's own character, but it also constitutes God's plumb line by which God measures our human righteousness. Now, look, I understand that's an incredibly high standard. That's the highest standard of all. And, and as we know, we can't be perfect like God is perfect. So that sounds hopeless. I know that we all do good things, but by the standard of the righteousness of God, as Isaiah says, all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Sounds like bad news. But here's the good news. The good news is this. It's not hopeless because our righteousness is based on what Jesus did. Yeah, our righteousness is based on what Jesus did. Listen to these uh, scriptures from 2 Corinthians. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. And then the apostle Peter says this. He explains it. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. That's the best news we could ever hear. You see, God's standard of righteousness is humanly impossible to obtain because of our sinful nature. But Jesus came to pay for our sins and make us righteous. Scripture tells us that righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to everyone who believes. So do you believe in Jesus? If you believe in him, then you're told that your faith is credited to you as righteousness. Now, we call that grace because you didn't earn it. There's nothing you can do. You can just receive it. You can just accept it. We're not good enough to be declared righteous on our own, but because Jesus is righteous and we believe in him, he credits us with righteousness. So if you believe in Jesus, then you're made righteous before God. So let's talk about that. Our righteousness, the righteousness we get from Christ, changes us on the inside and on the outside. You know, when Jesus said these words in Matthew chapter 5, he was looking for people who really hungered for the righteousness of God to be revealed in their lives and to be revealed in the world. Later on in the, in the sixth chapter of Matthew, he says this. He says, seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness. He was looking for people to follow that command. But Jesus also knew this. He knew that there were people who were just going through the motions. You see, in Jesus' day, the religious life of people was centered around the temple or around the synagogue, and it could be measured. Their righteousness could be measured in terms of attendance, of contributions, and of outward obedience to the myriad of rules and precepts and traditions and laws that were handed down and added to by generations of priests. You could just go through the motions. You could do the right things in front of people to say you were righteous. You could fake it. Now, Jesus knew a fake when he saw it, and, and he would call them out. We read in, in the Gospel of Matthew, the 23rd chapter, he says this. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, 
but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. That was harsh, but Jesus wasn't playing around. He was talking to the people who were the leaders of Israel. And he was saying, listen, you can't fake this. Either you are righteous or you're not. So those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are those who have been changed by God on the inside, which then translates to the outside. You see, it's not just an outward behavior that's changed. It's also the attitude of our hearts and our minds. God changes them from the inside out. They start seeing the heart of God that he has for humanity, and they're saddened to the point of grief. Maybe you felt that this week. The righteous see God's will, and they want it to come into being on the earth. Scholars point out that the way the word righteousness is used in the Gospel of Matthew means this. It means that people hunger so that they may see righteousness Uh, that they may be righteous, and that this may be wholly doing the will of God. And it's justice that may be done everywhere. In Jesus' mind, all unrighteousness grieves the righteous and makes them homesick for what God will bring in the future. And they're not satisfied until they see it come. So those who hunger and thirst for God want things to be different in such a way that they'll change the culture and the world in which they live. You know, here's the thing I can't say enough about what Jesus says in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and particularly here in the Beatitudes. It's countercultural. It's not the way our world thinks. He's calling us to a higher standard, to a different way of thinking and a different way of living. So let's talk about this this morning. Let's talk about living a righteous life. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Galatia. And when he did, he exhorted them. This is what he said. He said, let us not become weary in doing good. We should say that to one another. You know, let's not become weary in doing good. You know, that exhortation is for Christians then, but it's for Christians today. God desires people who will not grow weary in doing good, that they will hunger and thirst for righteousness in their lives and for that righteousness and that justice to be accomplished in the world. So we can't allow ourselves to grow weary of doing the things that brings God's righteousness and judgment. To want the righteousness and justice of God to reign on the earth means that we will submit to God's will. I think this one through. Submitting to God's will means limiting our free will. Submitting to God's will means limiting our free will. Now, I know for some of you all, say, wait, 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 wait a minute. You know, that statement just sort of puts the brakes on everything for you. Christ followers in America like the truth that God gives us free will. And we like the fact that our Constitution guarantees that we have certain rights to do certain things. That's the way our culture thinks. How does God think? In 1 Corinthians, we read this. 
You say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. Folks, that's pretty clear. Do you grasp the idea of limiting your freedom for the sake of God's will to be established on the earth and for the purpose of building up others? It's countercultural and it's biblical. Within the family of God, there is this cultural expectation that we will sacrifice for one another, that we will limit our choices so we can limit in community with each other. In the, in the book of Genesis, the fourth chapter, there's this very interesting story about Cain and Abel and about the community they lived in and, and quite honestly, how they broke that community. If you know the story of uh, Cain and Abel, Cain uh, was a farmer who raised crops. Abel, uh, uh, Abel uh, raised flocks of sheep and they both made sacrifices to God. Cain brought his first produce from his field. Abel brought the fat of one of his lambs. And God valued Abel's sacrifice better. This made Cain angry, so angry that he murdered his brother. This is what God said to Cain before the murder. He said this. He says, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And after that, Cain killed his brother. The Lord knew that, and he came looking for Cain and Abel. And he said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? And this is what Cain replied. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? This rhetorical question that, that Cain tries to use to sidestep what God's saying is something that many of us sometimes use with response to living in community in this world. The fact that as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're all connected, whether we want to admit it or not, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. This idea that this scripture undergirds in us a belief that has been held by ancient Israel all the way through the Christian church today. That in the faith, we have a mutual responsibility to one another. So yes, we are our brothers and our sister's keepers. Now, wait a minute, don't, don't get uh, freaked out by that. That doesn't mean we police one another's lives and actions. That doesn't mean we, we judge one another. What it does mean is we live in community with one another. We stay connected to one another. We encourage one another. And sometimes we challenge one another. And yes, we limit our freedom for the sake of others. I know that's not the American way, but the words of Jesus Christ are countercultural, even to nations. One scholar has written this The law of Moses would give an affirmative answer to Cain's question. His crime would have been recognized as particularly heinous, a, a, a violent against the community, which was highly established and honored by the Hebrews. Community presupposed mutual responsibility that was foundational to that covenant commitment. 
community responsibility took priority over individual preferences or rights. So this uh, kinship term of calling one another brother or sister characterized those who had entered into a mutual relationship of care and love and support for one another. And that went from Israel all the way to the church today. As followers of Christ, living a righteous life means we care about one another. We look after one another, that we don't keep to ourselves. I think this one through. You know, in our 21st world society, many of us get up in the morning, we shower, we eat breakfast, go into the garage, we hop into our car, we raise the garage door, we drive out, we go to work for eight hours, we come home, we drive in the garage, we hit the garage door closer, we go in the house, and we never interact with one another. As followers of Jesus Christ, we can't live isolated like that. For followers of Jesus Christ who hunger and thirst for righteousness, we need to understand that the righteousness that we seek is not just about what we believe in our heads, but it's how we live in relationship to one another. Over the past year, we have seen senseless acts of violence, like what we saw in Las Vegas this week, like what we saw in Charlottesville last month. We've witnessed the best and the worst of humanity. The worst things are those attitudes and actions that lead to death and destruction. But the best things are when people who cared enough to step in and help the injured and the wounded, putting their own lives at risk. In those good instances, people gave up their rights to run and protect themselves to help others. I believe that Christians need to consider themselves in that latter group. I believe that to hunger and thirst for righteousness is more than just a wish and a prayer. I believe that Christ followers have to roll up their sleeves and be part of the change. We don't have the option to ask, are we our brothers and sisters keepers? We have the responsibility to come alongside them and help them and walk with them. And when they're hurting and suffering, to pick them up. When they're depressed, to be there for them. When we see victims of violence and hatred, to care for them and work to stop it. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness is not something that will happen in the future only. It needs to happen now. So ask yourselves if you can ask this question. Will you ask God what can you do to bring righteousness and justice in the world? Will you ask God what you can do to bring righteousness and justice into other people's lives. Open your eyes. There are people all around us here this morning in this church, in your neighborhoods, where you work, in your schools, where you go and buy things that need the love of God demonstrated through the righteous behavior of people who follow Jesus Christ. Now, big picture. We're not alone in this. It's not just up to you individually. We're the body of Christ. We're connected to one another. We can work together.
Have you ever wondered with all this violence, all this racism, all this hatred going on in our country where God is? I'm praying for an end to it, and I know you are too. So why isn't God answering our prayers? Could it be? Could it be that he's waiting for individual followers of Christ to be the answer to that prayer? Could it be that he's waiting for us to be people of righteousness that don't just think about it, but live it out? So let me ask you this. Will you ask the Holy Spirit to give you a hunger and a thirst for righteousness that's not just in your head and in your heart that's translated in the way you live? Will you ask the Lord to give you the strength to go out and minister to people? It takes an open heart and an open mind and a willingness to be used by God as an instrument of righteousness in this world. Here's the big thing you need to understand. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you're not alone. You're part of something bigger than yourselves. You're part of the body of Christ. And we have a responsibility to God and to one another to seek to do whatever we can to bring that righteousness into this world. As I thought about this this week, I I was reminded of the prayer of of St. Francis. And St. Francis wrote a prayer that we're basically asked for God to make him an instrument of peace, an instrument of God's plan on earth and peace and righteousness. So I'm gonna invite you to stand up and we're gonna actually pray this prayer together in unison. You know, when we pray something in unison, sometimes it's really uh, uh, easy to be very casual about it and as I say, sort of sound like Charlie Brown's teacher, blah, 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 blah. As we pray this prayer, pray it like you mean it. Think about it. Here we go. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in dying that we are born again to eternal life. Now let me say this. You know, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you get this. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you've just heard a message about how followers of Jesus are supposed to live. The reality is, is that until you told Jesus you believe in him and want to follow him, you don't completely understand this. So I want to close with a prayer this morning for us to be able to live out that prayer we just said, but I'm also going to include in there a prayer for anybody who's never professed faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm just going to give you the opportunity to repeat a couple of silent prayers to God. So I'm going to invite everybody to to close their eyes and bow their heads 
and I'm going to pray over you. But if I give you some instructions and you want to pray that silently, please feel free to do so. Father, we thank you that you have told us that those who hunger and, hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled because we want to be filled. But Lord, I also recognize that some of us don't fully comprehend that because we haven't decided to follow you. So for anybody that has wants to follow Jesus today, this is your opportunity. You can just silently pray these words. Just say to him, God, I, I now believe in Jesus. God, I believe that Jesus died and rose again from the dead. God, I believe that he paid the price for my sins. God, now I want to follow him all the days of my life. Father, we thank you for the truth that when we believe in you, we're given the gift of eternal life and the power of your Holy Spirit to live with us. And Lord, it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that I ask that you would help each one of us become instruments of your righteousness in this world, that we won't just seek righteousness in our prayers, but we'll live our lives for righteousness, that we'll live it out in relationship with one another, that we'll be world changers, that we'll do what you call us to do, that we'll make a difference. And I pray, Lord, that as we do that, that we'll discover that following you, you've given us all we need. You're enough for us to live this life. And we're excited about that. So help us live hungering and thirsting for righteousness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.